Alex Pearson with you on point on our podcast today. We will chat with our friends over at Blacklocks Reporting who have dug into the new CERB program, which a lot of people will try to get into. But this time it actually comes with rules, a novel concept. But yes, rules this time around. We'll also talk about some changes to the Internet laws that the liberals are trying to push through. It actually means more to you than you think if you certainly like sharing things on Facebook or Twitter. We'll also talk about uh, all news of Trump. You got the tax returns, you've got tomorrow's debate, and then his Supreme Court pick. All sorts of outrage. Is it fake news or will it actually affect him? That and more coming up. Let's get going. If we can get everyone to take these simple steps, we can tip the scale, we can avoid the worst, because we know that we're in the second wave. And we know that it will be worse than the first wave. But what we don't know yet is how bad the second wave will be. The reality is, it's up to each of us. Together, our collective actions will decide if we face a wave or a tsunami. So there you go, Ontario officially in the second wave. And if you thought the first one was bad, this will be worse. So what? Are we ready? Not after what I went through today. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, September 28th. Great to have you here. Great to have you along for the ride. And uh, wishing our Jewish friends a very plentiful feast after a long day of fasting. My God, it's hard. And uh, of course, this is the holiest day of the year for Jews. It is Yom Kippur. And this is the Day of Atonement where you're forgiven. You know, you're cleansed of all sins. Albeit when I look at the year 2020, I would say uh, we have more than paid for our sins. In fact, we should be credited for a very long time. But uh, to all our Jewish friends, enjoy breaking that fast. Uh, I think it's around 7.30 tonight. And, you know, normally there'd be a, you know, a huge family feast, a lot of friends and family coming over, but not yet, not this year because, again, we can't have good things in 2020. Of course, the big uh, headline is this enormous jump on numbers. And surprising as it, as it is, I, I, or should we be surprised? I mean, we knew phase three would bring the jump. We know that we're doing more testing than before. And then, of course, you add in all those idiots breaking the rules. And I will get to those idiots in just a second. But, you know, the premier, as you heard, said this wave will be worse than the last, um, saying around a thousand cases a day is what we could see if we carry on in this direction. And so I wonder, you know, are we ready? And after all these months, we darn well should be because there's no there's no reason, there's no justification that we have to hurt businesses more. You know, there's no reason that businesses that are barely surviving now and will not hit and survive a, a second wave, there's no reason that we, we should have to, to inflict further damage. And there's no reason we should have to shut down schools. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if only certain schools are being hit, then you kind of target those and, and take them as they come. But I don't want to see a full shutdown. I don't think it's necessary. But I'm not so sure those in charge are ready. I mean, first of all, you look at our tracing, our trace testing. I mean, it's not nearly where it should be. There's only two provinces that are using the tracing app. 
And there's only a couple of million people who have signed on. And as of August, there were still huge gaps in the system's uh, tracking numbers, certainly province-wise. They were not being reported properly, and then health units were not following up. So how accurate are uh, we on the cases and where they're happening? You know, for me, it's just not fair to say, yes, roll it back, shut it down, especially like when we don't have the data to say where all the cases are. It's not fair to the gyms, to the restaurants, and to the businesses if they aren't the real culprits. But then there's the big issue, and I continue talking about testing. And it is a gong show, as you know. But uh, I blame plenty of levels of government, not just the province. I mainly blame the feds. Because if they don't get this rapid testing in place, we are screwed. I mean, how is it that, you know, the NHL basketball players, how come they could all get rapid testing? How come it was good enough for those guys, but it's risky for us? It's not good enough for the rest of us. We can't do it. Because I assure you, if parents have to go through what I just went through this morning with my little guy, sanity is going to be in short supply. Because this morning, it actually started last night, but we woke up. Well, a hundred times last night, my, my son had a, a sore throat, runny nose, which guess what? Every kid gets it at this time of year. It is normal. And my son is prone to croup, you know, that real barky cough. So I know when he's got it and then COVID comes along. And so of course he'll be home for the next few days, but to get him back in class. And if to get, if you've got a kid who's sick, you know, if they've got symptoms for more than 24 hours, you've got to take them to get a COVID test. And I tried to get him an appointment at the pharmacy because that would make sense. You know, he doesn't have a fever. He's asymptomatic, whatever. And they're not taking children. I mean, why would they take the burden off of testing centers? Because it would make what sense? I mean, if every child has to go and get a COVID test for a sniffle and they're not going to the pharmacies or the province doesn't change the rules on the basic symptoms, then we are going to have so many parents and children jamming up lines for those who actually need to get tested. And for me, I'm looking at the pharmacy saying, would this not make the most sense to have kids test there? Because then parents who don't have cars or transit, then they can just walk to their pharmacy. No? Now, I found a clinic, thank God. I found a clinic because a little birdie told me that one opened this morning. And the reason I was able to get in and out in about a half, an hour and a half was because it just opened and no one knows. And, and by the way, I'm sure there's hours long lineups now because I tweeted it out. Here's a clinic. It's open. Go. But there were 12 people there when I was there. And it took a really long time to get through. It's a very slow process. You got to register and check. But, you know, can you imagine how long these lines will be? Not to mention how cold it will be. And and so this is not sustainable. And so either the province has to remove some of the obvious and normal symptoms that kids get at this year time of year, like the runny nose and the sore throat. Otherwise, we're going to have kids and parents waiting in line for hours for tests that will likely come back negative. Or maybe Mr. Trudeau could stop kissing the ass of the United Nations and get the rapid tests pushed out. Because that's what he he was doing with his day-to-day. He couldn't go to question period. Oh, no, no. He was too busy talking to the United Nations. And then you have the cause of the surge, thanks to the morons, you know, those who flocked up to Wasega Beach over the weekend. Because, of course, they wanted to, they got to show off that souped-up Miata. Those things are hot. You know, it's like, here, see my new Fiero? It's kind of like a Ferrari with no engine. 
But I'll put money on it that a lot of these goons bought their tires with the CERB money they've been collecting. And because there's no actual consequences, they just don't care. In fact, listen to this guy. They actually get off on it. People come here and then like they intend to have like tickets and stuff. So they prepare a budget for that. And then when they come here, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have two grand just for a ticket. <laughs> so the cops say like it's too dangerous. Too dangerous to try to, you know, go into these big crowds and fine everybody. So they only handed out just over 100 fines. 130, I think, was the number. To which I say, come up with a new plan. Because those looking to break the rules are just going to keep doing this. And it's not fair to the rest of us to lose more freedoms. And it's frankly not fair to the businesses that have to keep rolling back and putting on more restrictions because the rules don't apply to them. And so, of course, Ford was asking, and, you know, you can't be surprised by his answer. I really wish I could get a hold of you know, their grandparents or their parents or a family member. And, and if they go home and tell them how proud they are that they broke the regulations and the guidelines. And, and by the way, we're going to put your life in jeopardy, possibly. You know, they, I, I just couldn't believe what I, what I was seeing. It's just reckless behavior and uh, shouldn't be tolerated. Right, it shouldn't be. So why is it? Why are those in charge letting this crap fly? Send a message once, send it strongly, and be done with it. And what was striking to me about a lot of these idiots, a lot of them are from Quebec. A lot of them. A lot of those license plates and a lot of those that were uh, the media spoke with on the weekend from, from Quebec. That, that province is now in a code red. So maybe it's time we shut the border with our neighbor, uh, you know, friends. But for all this talk of rolling back to stage two and, you know, we all have to do our part. As long as these stooges get away with having these big parties and thumbing their nose at the laws and laughing about it, you know, you're going to get very little buy-in from the public in this second wave to do their part. As long as the public at large sees them thumbing their nose at all the rules and getting away with it. All I can say is thank God these new CERB rules or these new EI rules have some rules actually this time so that maybe idiots like that can't actually get the money this time. Maybe they will have to go ask their mom and dad for some cash. Their moms and dads don't even know they go to these things probably. And if they do, shame on them for not uh, either raising them better or putting down their foot. But what does 700 cases mean? I mean, this is the biggest surge we've seen since the start of the virus. And the hospitals are able to handle it now, but that does uh, and can change on a dime. So this wave's not like the first, but does it need a you know, complete lockdown? And I'm going to ask the doctor about some testing of what I went through today and what other parents are experiencing, because it's not the same. So we'll talk about that. I would say that while the increase in COVID-19 cases is very unfortunate, it's also not unexpected. We have prepared for this throughout the summer months. We knew that we were going to see an increase in cases. We know where we're facing flu season as well, and we're trying to keep the number of scheduled surgeries and procedures also on track. That is why we developed our comprehensive plan, keeping Ontarians safe, preparing for future waves of COVID-19. Right. So if we were expecting all of this, and why aren't we better prepared? So the Premier confirming, you know, we're in the second wave, how bad it gets, we don't know. And the Chief Medical Officer of Health says it's either going to be a tsunami or a series of big waves. But uh, the numbers we are seeing now, like, are they any worse than what we saw in the spring? That's when we didn't wear masks. And we also didn't do nearly as much testing. 
So I don't know if that makes it worse or better, but uh, for context, I mean, Quebec has higher numbers right now, but keep in mind, they've also got 6 million less people living there. And if we're at 700 now, and this thing takes two weeks for cases to reflect the true numbers, what does Ontario look like in two weeks? And are we actually ready? Are hospitals ready? Dr. David Jacobs, Ontario Specialist Association Chair, also co-founder of the Coalition of Ontario Doctors and Vice President of the Ontario Association of Radiologists, joining us now. Hello there, doctor. Hi, thanks for having me again. So are we ready? I mean, were you at all surprised by these numbers? Um, I mean, I know it's the hospitalizations that really matter, but are you at all surprised? No, not at all. I, I, you know, we've been talking about this and uh, it, with no change in people's behavior, I, I, we can't expect to see the numbers go down. It's, again, it's just math. It's just math. And, and so one of the big things I've been dealing with today and, and, and what, uh, what makes me ask the question, you know, are we ready? It's not really until you see the need for a test in your own life that you realize, oh, God, this is not just a hassle, but uh, we shouldn't have to be doing this. But my child, uh, you know, like every other child is now into the snotty nose season, which means, you know, they're going to have to get tested to get back into school unless the province starts to remove some of the basic symptoms as uh, British Columbia did. But that also means waiting in line for a long, long time. And I think very unnecessarily. Um, but I was surprised when I called the pharmacy, they aren't testing kids. So for me, I'm looking at this thing. This is not sustainable to have parents and their kids lining up in hours long lineup when they'll probably test negative because they've got symptoms that kids get at this time of year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, your your little one got tested. My uh, not-so-little one anymore uh, got tested uh, last evening because of uh, some symptoms that required testing. So um, it's, uh, and it is a long, long wait to get a test at most testing centers, but there is some good news. So uh, the WHO recently said uh, that they're going to allow antigen testing or that they support antigen testing. Now, uh, that is a test that can be done in 15 minutes. You can do them in batches if you want. Uh, it, it's, you know, you can test a whole classroom all at once. It's, it's a very uh, useful test. Uh, it's not as sensitive or as specific as the uh, test that we're using right now, but it, it, it will take a lot of the weight off of the system. How long, how long until that comes in, though? Because I was just reading an article on that, and I'm thinking, okay, is this why Canada hasn't put any pressure on um, Canada Health to get these tests? Are they waiting for this so that everyone gets it at the same time? I have no idea. I mean, I really, I, a lot of the stuff that's been going on at Canada Health, I, I can't possibly understand. I think it's a mix of politics. It's a mis mix of uh, inadequate resources. Uh, there, there are all sorts of things that don't make a lot of sense in terms of what Canada Health has been doing. Uh, and it could just be a slow bureaucracy or, or, or uh, an incredibly cautious bureaucracy. Regardless, uh, they've got, been given the stamp of approval and we've been, uh, and they've been following uh, the World Health Organization's lead this entire pandemic. So I would think that uh, this would be no different and we should start seeing that very sometime very soon. Well, it's the WHO, so no wonder it's slow. It's bureaucracy is no better. Um, but when I got when, when my son got tested, um, I was positive that there would be a swab jammed up his nose. That's why I didn't tell him exactly how it was done. But I was very surprised when he actually got a throat swab, which I was like, oh, great, perfect. But then I was talking about it with a few other parents and no one I know got this offer, but it is available and it's not new. 
So why wouldn't all children be offered this? In fact, why wouldn't all people be offered this? Well, it, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, and from some of the research that you did and, and related to me, uh, we, we know that there are different types of testing kits. And it, it seems to be more of a what, what kit did you get? And mm-hmm. remember, there was a time when we didn't even have uh, testing kits available. So uh, I, I think that uh, in, in a situation where we're somewhat beggars in this, uh, in, in this instant, uh, we'll get what we get and, and uh, we'll make use of them. So your kid got lucky. Mine, not so much so. <laughs> they tickle their brain. Well, yeah, but you would think, you know, that they might, uh, you know, thinking of the children and, and everyone else's brains, that they might say, well, let's go with the easier of, the, of them or at least have them available. I, I one would think that that would be preferable at this point in time, but I think that now that we have the the, the rapid tests, I think that's going to take a lot of load off because what you're going to be able to do is uh, almost do a screening with that, and then you can get into the more invasive test if need be. Right. Nonetheless, it was um, you know still got the McDonald's as a treat for it, but it was a, a certainly a lot. <laughs> it was certainly a bit of a relief that I didn't have to explain it after the fact, and he won't need therapy for it. Um, you know, but we don't know what we don't know, and we just are being told that it, it, it'll likely be a worse uh, wave than we saw in the spring. But there are a lot of colleagues in your profession saying, "Look, it's time to go back to stage two, roll it back." But we don't have data that, you know, pinpoints because we don't have the best tracing system of where this is coming from. So to me, it's not fair to go after gyms and restaurants and places when we don't actually know where the spread's happening. Well, I, I mean, that's a fair point. And uh, the point that someone's made is that uh, restaurants are going above and beyond to make sure that they don't spread it because they so desperately need to stay open. I think that really what we need to do is we need to get better data. So we need to... Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> but that's a, that's up to us. So when we're t- when we're screening patients, when we're taking notes at the hospital, we should have a standardized form that gets handed in when when uh, public health comes around. So there should be a list of questions: uh, Were you at a bar? Were you at a restaurant? All these things, so that we can kind of try and sort it out a little bit better. But it also means that the public has to start downloading that app. You have to mm-hmm. download the COVID nineteen app in order for public health to do their job. So we have to contribute to this as well. Yeah, for all those like saying, look, it's my freedom. I don't want, I'm like, just for, for the love of God, we are in a pandemic. And if you want more freedom, then download the app. You can have a lot more freedom and then get rid of it. But, you know, we get yeah, the Amber Alert. Yeah, it's just that easy. Absolutely. Well, you would, yeah, but you'd be, I mean, you know, I mean, stunned how many people are like, no, no, I can't do it because the government's going to watch me. I'm like, ugh, if, if Ann Kavukian signs off on this thing, you're gold. Go for it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hate to break it to most people, but the government couldn't care less about what 99% of us do with our day. So just download the app and, uh, and please, uh, we just need to keep, uh, keep everyone safe and we need to be able to learn more about this virus in order to keep people safe. Especially this government because they're obsessed with the UN. All right, doctor, on that note, I'll leave it there and we'll chat tomorrow and see what that day brings. Thank you. Sounds good. Talk soon. Dr. David Jacobs joining us here. All right, it is that time of the uh, night where we dig into some of the headlines in Ottawa that don't get all the attention, but they should because they are the real hidden jewels that actually affect you. And no one does it better than, of course, Black Locks reporting. Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks, joining me now. Um, Tom, big um, changes happening with CERB, obviously. I mean, you know, it, the program has now stopped. And they are trying to roll in uh, all those who are on it into this new benefit that they can can get. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see 
shocked, albeit, glad to see that they might actually get tough on those who can get it uh, and try to stop the cheaters. Significant change, they call it, from when they introduced the CERB back in March, Alex. The world has changed a lot in so many ways, hasn't it, in the last six, seven months? And that's one change over at the Department of Employment that runs the program. They say they want to send a message. Uh, If you try to quit your job and go on the new $2,000 a month Canada recovery benefit, you will get nothing. And they say if you turn down work, if you turn down a reasonable job offer from anyone, and presumably they'll know because employers will complain, uh, you will lose minimum at least half your benefits. You must swear when you apply for those uh, Canada recovery checks that will be in about the second week of October off the Canada Revenue Agency website. They'll ask you to click a box says, I'm available for work. I usually work. I enjoy working very much. I did not quit my job to get government money. Uh, that... Uh, uh, and and that attestation will be used later by auditors if there's any monkey business. Can they track everybody? No, they can't. But they say, quote, unquote, they want to send a message that uh, there must be no cheating this time. Well, gee, you know, that message, Tom, should, it should have been sent months ago. It's one thing to say, look, we had to get the money out the door as fast as possible. It's quite another then to know that people are cheating. I think you guys reported upwards of $22 billion had gone to people living in households making over 100000 And then knowing full well people were not you know, doing anything all summer because it was like a paid break. They were turning down jobs that were uh, really hurting the very businesses. It was, you know, aimed at at helping as well as helping those people. But we spent a lot. This is $79.3 billion that was spent last March. And again, no one had to prove anything. So, you know, you just wonder how much they'll actually change it this time to make sure that, you know, people aren't getting away with this. Uh, and they acknowledge it uh, for whatever that's worth, and that doesn't do you any good once, as you mentioned, almost $80 billion has gone out the door. That's $80 billion borrowed dollars. Mm-hmm. But they acknowledge that the Minister of Employment identifies the original program now as pretty clunky. Well, <laughs> I, I can't argue with clunky, but there was money paid, and there was testimony subsequently in parliamentary committees where there were uh, tax lawyers talking about CERB vacations. There were liberal MPs who, who yeah. said in, in, in committees, I have employers in my riding who say they've tried to call uh, workers back who are on temporary layoff and, and, and were told drop dead. Was this the majority of claimants? We don't know. Do we think it was a significant minority? Obviously, the Labor Department thinks so because they tried to change the system. There you go. Well, we'll wait and see, um, you know, what uh, the dotted I's and cross T's look like this time around. Um, This one is important because um, it's flying under the radar. And really, I think people aren't interested in it because it's changes to the Broadcasting Act. And people will say, well, big deal. Well, it is a big deal because it strikes at the very core kind of freedom of uh, of our speech and what we can share and what we can't share. But Heritage Minister Stephen Giebel, who I think is the strangest guy on the entire planet, uh, but I digress, um, he he wouldn't say if he's going to press ahead with these unprecedented unprecedented regulations of internet news media as broadcasters. And what he's trying to do is, is overhaul um, what go what the internet providers can and can't share. But also there are things like taxes that they're going to put, they say, on these social media giants like Netflix and that. But it's not exactly a tax on them. It turns out to be a tax actually on we the people because <laughs> these companies are not going to pay for it. 
They won't pay for it, and I'll believe those taxes when I see them because it challenges their entire business model. If little Steve Jibo wants to go after Google and Facebook, that means every county tax assessor, every state in America is going to say, well, we want our sales tax too. There'll be no end to it. There's a reason those corporations are headquartered in Delaware and do not pay the corporate taxes. That's actually their business model. Why, why does the Broadcasting Act amendments matter? I agree it sounds dry, but it's really not. First time since 1991. What happened in the time period since 1991? The internet happened. And the CRTC, the federal regulator, over and over, at least twice in those decades, has said we cannot go after the internet. It is the purest form of spirited public discourse and free speech. They've changed their mind. They keep sniffing around internet regulation, Alex. They won't drop the idea, whether it's taxation of Facebook, whether it's regulation of legal speech that they don't like, whether it's a registry of news media that are digital publishers, that's what makes our heads explode. Mm -hmm. They can't help themselves. They have to get their mitts on the internet. And when those amendments are dropped in Parliament, it's really worthwhile. I'm glad you say it. It's worthwhile people reading those bills because they are coming for your Facebook page one way or another. They can't help themselves. No, they can't. And it would also change, you know, they want to regulate what Canadian content goes where. I mean, I guess they forget that that's what the CBC is for. I don't even know what the CBC's mandate is anymore. Um, but it would really hurt, I think, publications like Black Locks Reporting. But certainly if you have a blog, um, you know, you might just think it's all about rebel news. It's not. It would actually affect anything you share online, um, you know, which could come back to haunt you. Hands off the internet. Every democratic government has gotten that message. Some of them the hard way. Government of France has tried to tax uh, Google and Facebook. Didn't work. Government of Australia has tried to regulate content. Unsuccessful to date. This is something that is really left to certain dictatorships. Uh, it, It is a hot button because people have a very intimate relationship with what they put on the internet the content that they enjoy, and what they like to share with their family and friends. And it's none of Parliament's business. But they just they keep coming back to this, Alex. They just can't let it go. I don't know why. Yeah, well, they might have to, but hopefully people will wise up before this thing actually gets kind of buried in the fine print. I know you'll stay on it. Tom, thank you very much. My pleasure, Alex. Tom Korski, Managing Editor over at Blacklock Supporting. This is a subscription-based mag and, of course, worth every cent. Well, it's all fake news, of course, and it never seems to end. But this weekend, there was a whole lot of news uh, with Donald Trump. Not that there never is. But the story everyone's talking about is this New York Times piece on his tax returns, which claims he paid about $750 in federal income tax the year he ran for office and then paid no other income taxes for a whole bunch of other years. Is it true? I don't know. I don't know what's true or not true with this guy. Uh, Then, of course, there was the appointment for Supreme Court pick, a woman named Amy Coney Barrett. Very qualified woman. Very impressive. But, of course, she's a Christian. And she's a conservative, which then disqualifies her automatically for the left, albeit there's nothing the Democrats can, Democrats can do to actually stop this. And then there is tomorrow's debate, a gong show to be sure. We know Trump says wonky stuff. I'm actually more curious to see if Joe Biden can actually string a thought together 
That makes sense. Michael Dobe joining us now, columnist at Troy Media and Looney Politics, Washington Times contributor and former speechwriter to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. How are you doing, Michael? I'm good, Alex. How are you? Well, I'm good, thanks. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff coming out in Donald Trump. I barely speak about Donald Trump because to do so is nothing but stepping on a landmine. But the tax return story is getting an awful lot of attention. I don't know what's true or what is not. The bottom line, though, is it doesn't matter if something's true. It can still be very, very damaging. Does this story stick to him? Well, look, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. I have to presume that based on their studies that he did pay for the the year that he ran for president and the year after he was president, a minimum of $750, which is the minimum you can pay in the United States for taxes at a certain level, depending on how much your earnings are. We'll assume they're true. You know, look at it this way. You know, I don't think anyone's going to be terribly surprised to hear this. And I didn't find this to be a big bombshell by the New York Times or the way many progressives dealt with it. Because it's been it's been exposed for a period of time that Donald Trump probably did not pay his taxes. We've heard rumors about this for years. It was discussed during the 2016 presidential election in the United States. So like the Hillary Clinton emails after a while, you go, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. And it just doesn't it just doesn't stick anymore. Exactly. Look, I'm not going to justify it. Tax avoidance or tax fraud, whatever it may be, is obviously something that should not be cherished by any means. But I don't think we should be terribly shocked. And. Maybe after, you know, four years of Donald Trump, we've all sort of become used to this sort of thing, which is not good. I'm not saying that. But I think that basically we assume that Donald Trump will do these things. The question really is, does his bad behavior in this way necessarily mean that he should not be reelected on November the 3rd? Again, that's up to the American voters to decide. But I think that most Americans, whether they're going to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or sit at home, I think they've made their decision. I just don't think this New York Times story, which, by the way, this is only part one. They claim that more things are going to come out later. I just don't think it's going to be a big issue other than it'll create some fireworks during the first presidential debate. Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, I mean, Hunter Biden, I mean, there was a fairly big story on him uh, last week, uh, you know, these ties to Ukraine. And yeah. that was reported widely on mainstream, like CBS. I think it was a... Uh, you know, it was reported, but not not talked about that he got uh, millions of dollars. Uh, you know, with this shadyish deal with with Ukraine yeah. sitting on this board. Again, it, it didn't stick for whatever reason. Nothing ever seems to stick. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's just whatever side you're on, you're sticking with it. And for whatever reasons, you know, Canada seems to think it's part of this election. And so we talk about it more than we talk about what's going on with the government in charge that has actually shown there's a lot of shadiness around. Before we get to the debate, though, I want to talk about um, this, this Supreme Court pick, Amy mm -hmm. Coney Barrett. She was widely expected to get it. She's very qualified. Mm -hmm. The problem for her, and it shouldn't be, is that she's a Christian. She's a Christian conservative. Therefore, right. she's an evil, terrible person. Um, you know, again, why do we care about that so much when I don't think any Canadian can probably name one person on our courts, our upper yeah. court, and we don't do nearly the vetting. that We don't do any vetting. No. We have very little vetting. I mean, there's there's some minimal amounts in Canada, but not much. Yeah, you're right. Amy Comey Barrett is being attacked primarily, although one thing she's also being attacked for is that she's an originalist, which is what the late Antonin Scalia and other conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court tend to believe, which means that they just believe what the founders created when they first created the Constitution, what the founders set out as principles, and originalists use that as their guide 
to setting laws, which was different than, say, the, Luth, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who believed that the Constitution was a living document, that it could be, mm -hmm. you know, moved around, touched upon, torn apart. It's a very different strategy. And oh, Amy he and she and Scalia got along quite well, so they managed they to work together. Absolutely. They got along very well. They attended opera together, drank wine together. They, their families met on a regular basis. So it proves that obviously liberals and conservatives who think very differently on issues can actually get along. I know we've forgotten that the last four years, but it actually mm. does exist. But for Amy Comey Barrett, yeah, she is being attacked, I think, for reasons that are predictable on the progressive side. I'm not shocked that they're going after her in this way. But, you know, there have been a number of people, including the current president of Catholic University of America, who wrote a, an op-ed for the Washington Post just a couple of days ago, where he basically went through working with her, talking about her intelligence, ability, etc., but also showed that she, like others who have sat on the bench, are very tolerant of very different things, irrespective of the fact that they have differences of opinion on different matters. You know, his, his belief is that anyone, be it a, a Christian, Jew, Muslim, etc., if they follow the basic tenets of the law in the United States and they believe in the U.S. Constitution and what it, what it supports, whether you're an originalist or believe it's a living mm -hmm. document, you are able to serve and serve properly in the U.S. Supreme Court. And again, Ms. Barrett has written a lot of work. I mean, her it's very easy to find a lot of her documents and ideas and concepts. And I think she will be reliably conservative when it comes to the basis of the Constitution and the decisions that she makes, whether she's of the majority opinion or the minority opinion. But overall, very intelligent, very talented woman, very solid you know, credentials, will be an excellent person when she joins the bench at some point. But unsurprisingly, this has become a major political issue. And But you know what? No matter who Donald Trump had picked, it would have been a huge issue. Of course. And I love the uh, conspiracy that, um, you know, she adopted two Haitian children because well, she, it was all it was all to get this Supreme Court pick. Yes, that's why she adopted these of two course, children. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we have the first and maybe the only, um, you know, debate happening tomorrow night. I'm actually, frankly, shocked that it's actually going to happen because mm -hmm. I don't talk about American politics a lot. And I certainly just don't weigh in on the lunacy. But I have seen, I mean, look, it's hard to think that uh, Biden is as sharp as he was. I mean, I've seen it's a number of clips of late in the last year or so. I mean, he says some, you know, for all the things Trump says, and he is bombastic, yep. Biden says some absolute gregarious things that <laughs> he gets away with, but it's nuts. Yeah. It's true. Well, that's why they used to call him. It wasn't a nice nickname, but it existed. It was crazy Uncle Joe Biden. And basically yeah. the reason for that was you had to keep Joe Biden on a leash. The Obama White House or Obama administration, if you'd like, knew this. It was discussed openly. It was mentioned in a lot of major press, including the mainstream media who discussed it as well. But, you know, as time goes along, Alex, everybody forgets the old story. Somehow it doesn't mm. all matter. But yeah, look, I don't think that Joe Biden, quite frankly, is the Joe Biden of 20 to 30 years ago. But in fairness, nobody is from that period of time. As we get older, certain things happen. And look, I'm not a doctor and I can't diagnose Biden, but he certainly seems to be slower off the mark. He's not as skilled as he was in terms of debating, answering questions, talking in a general position. He can't even sometimes string a number of sentences together which is always very worrying, especially for a person who's running to be the president of the United States. But it'll be a fascinating debate. It's a debate that both of the men have been chomping at the bit for, but especially U.S. President Donald Trump, 
because he is a little bit behind in the polls, at least in terms of the popular vote, which again, and we have to keep this in mind, does not mean anything in the U.S. Yeah. politics. It's just an indicator. It's mm -hmm. the electoral college. How many think, how many votes you win through the college, which means how many states you win and their electoral vote. That's what determines who becomes the U.S. president. It has nothing to do with the popular vote. They usually go hand in hand, but whatever. It, this is going to be a fascinating debate because both men are going to obviously try to hammer each other hard. It's going to be very vicious in terms of the language. There's not going to be very much nuanced language at all. Um, you're going to see a lot of very little debate probably about policy, which is the same thing that happened in 2016, but it will become more personal. And I would be shocked that Joe Biden, even though he's obviously been trained by his people behind the scenes, not to duplicate or replicate what Hillary Clinton did in 2016, which really killed her in the debates, yeah. aside from the fact that her supporters keep claiming she wanted, she actually didn't because she actually played right into Donald Trump's game of letting him talk, letting him control the methodology, letting him control the narrative. If Biden does the same thing, sure, his supporters will come out and say, look how wonderfully he did. And look, he actually lasted it, aside from what everyone was saying. It's not going to happen that way. If Donald Trump gets to play his type of game, which is aggressive, powerful attacks, negative messaging, and goes from that point on, no matter how few issues are discussed, and no matter how few policies come up, although Trump needs yep. to talk about the economy and foreign policy, trust me, Trump will win it overall because his base will be happy, conservatives will be happy, and there'll be a lot of independents who will say, you know what, it seems like nobody the Democrats feel can actually go up against them. It helps. If he can paint Sleepy Joe as Crazy Joe, who's lost his mind, then he will right. have won. Nonetheless, stay tuned. It'll be a big one. All right. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Always appreciate it. My pleasure. Speak to you later this week. That is Michael Tobe joining us here. So, yeah, it will be, if not for anything and other reason, entertaining, if not terrifying. That is your podcast for today. Of course, join us live Monday through Friday, 630 to 10. I'm Alex Pearson.